0: To our number two of the program That program is Sportsnet Today it's Here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan Logan and Aaron along with you From the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studios For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Crack Foundation Boeing Foundation Walls They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation Contact Basement Systems They're all things Basement D visit dlbasementsystems.com. In Hour 1, a conversation about Michael Backlund and his future with the Calgary Flames. A look at a busy weekend around the world of sports and a quick conversation on Connor Bedard after signing his entry-level contract with the Chicago Blackhawks today. Talked about his potential goal totals for next season. You can hear that on the Hour 1 podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. Google, Amazon. Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. Still to come this hour, our NHL off-season review continues. We'll dive into the Colorado Avalanche. Disappointing end of their season. Some changes. Ryan Johansson among the big additions there. Are they back into Stanley Cup contending form? Ryan Bolding's going to join us later on this hour, and we'll chat uh, about the Colorado Avalanche. But we start the hour... With some CFL football, week six did not disappoint. Across the CFL, we had game-tying drives late. We had game-winning drives. We had a massive comeback from a, an almost unknown quarterback in the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks coming back to beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Saturday. And, of course, for the Calgary fans, the Stampeders and the Saskatchewan Roughriders. It took a, a field goal from Renee Perez as time expired for the Calgary Stampeders to erase some defensive lapses, we'll call it. There were kick returns, there were touchdowns. there was a ton to get to, but at the end of the day, and most importantly, it was a massive win for the Calgary Stampeders. They avoid handing Saskatchewan the season series. They get to two and three on the season, and now for the latest on the Calgary Stampeders. It's time for your Monday Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas.
1: This this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas.
2: Dollar Stampeders on the road for one more as they wind down their Stampede road trip with a big one against the rival Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Riders coming into this one, winners of two in a row, including a double overtime win over the Stampeders back on June 24th. First quarter and a scene that's been happening far too often with this Stamps group, especially on their punt cover team, letting big plays go off. Mario Alford stung them in the first with a 67-yard score to opening the scoring. Rene Paredes would get the Stamps on the board first with a field goal, then following it up with his second early on in the second quarter. Offensively, the Stamps have been stuck in neutral for most points of this season, but getting some bodies back in that receiving core will be massive. That's what happened with Luther Hakunavanu back after dealing with an injury, and Tommy Lee Lewis, a player the Stamps have had on their negotiation list for seven seasons, finally making his CFL debut, getting a touchdown late in the second corner. So both Hakunavanu and Lewis making immediate impacts in the passing game as the Stamps lead 20-10 at the half. Lewis looks to have had his first punt return for a touchdown as well, but it gets called back because of a penalty. The other big return in this game, and we've already mentioned him, in the green and white, Mario Alford did it again to the Stamps cover team, taking this one 94 yards, and the Riders shaved that Stamps lead again down to just three. Diedrich Mills would give the Stamps a little more breathing room as he would find the end zone for six. And then some bad news for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Early on in the fourth quarter, Trevor Harris gets hit by Derek Wigan, And on the roll through, that leg swinging makes contact with Trevor Harris's right knee. He's going to be without, he's going to be gone a while, I should say, has uh, to go for surgery to repair a tibial A fracture on his right knee. It's not season ending, but it will be Mason's fine time for the time being. Fine would find Jamal Morrow to get the Riders back within three. and Then Mayer would find Reggie Bagleton late in the fourth quarter to get the Stamps back into Paradez range. He's good. Stamps back in front 30-24. to 24. Riders looking for a little bit of a miracle here, and they might have found it. Fine hucks it up towards Tevin Jones down the Riders' sideline, but it's into double coverage. The ball cannot be roped in by Jonathan Moxie. Jones comes away with it, and with 42 seconds left, the Riders now lead Rule number one, always knock it down. So what could Jake Mayer do? Well, he finds Luther Hakunavanu for a big 22-yard gain. And then a couple plays later, finds Trey Odom Dukes to get into Stamps' range. And Paradez, this guy just doesn't miss. He was perfect on that play, and he was perfect on the day. Stampeders pull one out, 33 31 they moved to two and three on the year. Let's hear from head coach Dave Dickinson.
3: I'm not sure where the season goes now. I'm really not. But if we don't win that game, uh, I'm real concerned. So we we <laughs> certainly got a lot of improving to do. The guys are fighting and I'm proud of them to keep keep the faith because it didn't look good for a second.
2: Um, your offense it felt like it was really clicking at times.
3: Yeah, we were we were throwing the ball better. So in CFL, when you can throw, it does look better. Now, you know, the running's great, but it's kind of more of a grinded out type of thing did not think our front played that well, our O-line with our back. Uh, I think Jake got hit too many times, but we looked explosive, and they were running a, a certain game, a twist inside we were struggling with. But the main thing is everyone battled, and when we needed to get the job done, we got the job done. The last touchdown that they scored, what do you want to see your secondary? Well, they just got to bat it down. I mean, uh, I can hear my wife saying, knock it down, knock it down. I can hear it. I can hear Tammy saying that, because that's what you do. You knock it down, and uh, crazy things happen, crazy things happen, and uh, certainly yeah, I was pissed off and uh, couldn't believe it. But the next thing you do is take a deep breath and, and go in the game. And that's what we did.
2: And a word about Renee.
3: Yeah, it was a great kick because he, he was hitting it good all night. Though I had a good feel for that. I really did. He was hitting it big and kickoffs are deep. I, I had a lot of, I had a lot of faith in his leg strength, but 50s, 50s not easy. And uh, he's really clutch. Uh, he's done a great job throughout his career. And when he's on, like you say, I could tell he was on this game. I really could. Uh, I had a lot of faith in him.
2: Special teams a tough night are you pleased with the way you battled through that adversity
3: uh not really I mean not special at all uh, so what are we gonna do are we gonna just uh, say it's a bad game and just just kind of just basically hang our heads no we gotta work and we gotta put people in the right positions and if the guys aren't getting the job done then we gotta find other guys to do that job they have a good returner obviously they they had you know good schemes but a couple of them went, that first one was crazy that touch to me is just a back backbreaker they hadn't done anything kept them in the game you know we got our own big plays too though you know, we got, a, we got a soft call on, on uh, Marken where our touchdown, and then uh, I think we had, what, about a 80, 90, 100-yard return. So you look at it, both teams were probably a little disappointed. They weren't able to tackle as well as they need to in the return game. Uh, but CFL's a big field with some great players.
2: Do you think Tommy Lee can make it be a real difference maker for your
3: team? I do. I mean, I do. I mean, we got to just give him more reps. So he had a hamstring injury, and so I don't want to overload him. He's a, He's a good football player, and he's hungry, and he's... So it's weird because I think he's like 29 and he's a rookie. Uh, but I think he'll play more and more and move him around. I just make sure that when he's in the game, every play and going to him. Uh, we got to make sure he just fits into the system. And uh, if we call a play and they double team him, uh, just like when Markin came in last week, we got to make sure we throw the other way. So those are little things we can work out at the quarterback position. But It was a solid game, a good win. We needed it.
2: Luther looks really good too.
3: Yes, uh, you know, came off a groin injury. Um, you know, he's a challenge to cover. He's got speed, size, uh, confidence now. That's the thing with the young guys is when you start performing and doing the right things, your confidence grows, and ultimately that's when you're better. And uh, you got to do it again, though. You got to do it again. You got to do it next game and the next game. The one thing I want to challenge our receivers on is just being a little more locked into the game plan. Way, way, way too many mental errors. Had to burn double timeouts because we can't get lined up. So, there's always things I'm going to try to improve on, and that's one of them, but Luther had a good game.
2: Jake seemed to be much more comfortable tonight than he had in a couple of previous games. Did you see that as well?
3: Yep. I mean, he's, he's building. I mean, he's probably about 13 career starts. Um, you know, I do think uh, with our receiving core, he hasn't played with these guys. Um, I do think we've got to block better up front, but some of that also the quarterback has to know uh, where the areas of field that are vacated and try to get the ball there quicker, especially if they're bringing five or more, and they were. So, I mean, they... We as a team I thought actually produced pretty well offensively. We had another lull at the start of the second half We've been doing that a little bit. So that's got to be addressed with how we do things at halftime. We've got to be better We've got to put our players in better position to have a better start to the second half.
0: Your pressure was good though six sacks.
3: Yeah It was I want to I want to First off commend Trevor uh, Harris. I mean he, Mm. he was a warrior He went for the first down. I mean he really gave his team a chance to win and when he got hurt, that took a lot of air out of the stadium and both teams. Um, and we did get after him pretty good, but he just kept coming. And that's what's that's what's required to win the game. But I want to make sure. Hope Trevor's all right. I hope it's okay.
2: Yeah, that is a massive confidence booster for sure. I want to thank Stamps TV for that audio. Could not be one and four and lose the season series with the Riders already. No practice on Monday or Tuesday, so Wednesday will be our first look for the group as they get ready for the Red Blacks at McMahon Stadium next Sunday. With your Peters report. I'm Patrick Dumas.
0: Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. Yes, a big win for the Calgary Stampeders and uh, a lot more efficient game from quarterback Jake Mayer. 26 of 37, 315 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception, and of course led them on that game-winning drive late to set up a Rene Paredes field goal to win it. And, uh, man, did the Stampeders need a game like that, uh, Vickers? They just haven't. Haven't looked like themselves this year at a lot of times, but that was uh, even with a little bit of late late drama in yeah. that one. Uh, still a much better outing for the Calgary Stampeders.
4: Well, and Dave Dickinson said it best in that clip: "They're not sure where the season goes because one and four and losing twice to Saskatchewan is a lot different than being one and one against them and two and three overall. Like that is a massive." But let's. There's no shortage of drama between these two teams. They've already met twice. Just incredible in terms of how those games have unfolded. Week three, the Stampeders erased a 10-point deficit to force overtime with a field goal with 11 seconds remaining. And then OT loss for the Stamps. And on the flip side, a five-play 30-yard drive for a 50-yard game winner to even the season series at one Why It's a shame that these two teams don't play again. I think it's week 19, something in there. It
0: is uh, Friday, October 13th.
4: Ooh, a little Next Friday the Thirteenth. Let's just layer on the the yeah. drama. You got the the game this week. You got the week three game, and then hey, let's go throw a Friday the Thirteenth game in in October. <laughs> let's go.
0: You gotta love that, right? You do. Well, man, whole. I was just and look. First things first, like like Dave mentioned there. Uh, you hope the best for Trevor Harris. That's yeah getting rolled up like that when a guy Derek Wigan is that big is so unfortunate and i feel for the guy he's been trying to prove a lot of people wrong in saskatchewan this year and um that's just tough to see and i do hope he can make a late season comeback for them but you know for the calgary stampeders let's be honest as a you know purely game wise you're sitting there thinking, okay it's a backup quarterback now we got a chance to win this and look it, it happens all the time was it the wrong play from jonathan moxie yes I think him and Trey Roberson connect there because, you know, Trey's just expecting him to knock it down, not go for the pick, and all of a sudden you've bounced it up into their arms and in for a touchdown. You're thinking, this is not how we want to lose this game. Oh, not on that Like, point, that no. is not how to the backup quarterback throwing it up. You just had two sacks to get them pushed back even further, and all of a sudden they're in the end zone. Against
4: 69 yards.
0: Two of your best defensive players. We're there on it. It, it could have, yes, he could have picked it off. But you, you just you knock it down and you walk out of there. You're you're so lucky that Luther and Reggie find some open space. Renee Paredes doesn't apparently operate on the same heart level as the rest of us because that kick was true from fifty and it didn't have any doubt in our minds that it was going to get there. But man, it just it was like one step too many for the Stampeders to just. It should have been one of those. It kind of felt like the flame season, right? It's like it couldn't be easy. It couldn't be an easy 2-3 goal night, right? It had to always be the the last second that yeah. it came down to. And uh, look, like you said, you're probably just happy you picked up the win. You get to take on Ottawa next week. You're back at home. Uh, so a chance to get back to the 500 mark before the end of July uh, and when you get uh, some Eastern opponents too. So good on the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, should be fun to, uh, to watch them there in, like I mentioned, back at home on Saturday, Sunday excuse me, uh, when they welcome the Ottawa Red Blacks and then off to Montreal before the month is out for Week 7 and 8. We'll get uh, more from practice from Patty Juma as uh, your Stamps Report uh, comes in throughout the week here on Sportsnet today. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. NHL offseason review continues. Today's uh, look at the Colorado Avalanche. Aaron Vickers and myself will dive into it with Ryan Bolding. Where exactly does Colorado fit in the Western Conference? Disappointing year last year. Still dealing with some major injuries. But when you've got Nathan McKinnon and Cale McCarr, expectations are going to be high. But by the way, that new extension for Nathan McKinnon, that's kicked in this year. And there's a lot less cap space to go around in Colorado. What's uh, What's going on with the avalanche? We'll answer that question next. As Sportsnet Today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Yeah, it is Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers along with you on this Monday edition of Sportsnet Today. We are continuing our NHL offseason review. We'll see if we get to all 31 teams across the league as the summer goes on. Ooh, we'll try. We'll see if we have enough people who are nice enough to say yes to us. Like our next guest, Ryan Bolding, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Colorado Avalanche correspondent for NHL.com. Ryan, thanks so much for doing this today, man. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How about you? Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, we're doing great, man. We appreciate the time. Uh, looking back at some NHL teams uh, who've been busy this off season, the Colorado Avalanche certainly qualify as one of those teams so just take me back a bit to the Stanley cup playoffs. I mean, I guess it's hard to, to complain too far out when you've won a Stanley cup, but what was the mood around the team, Ryan, following that loss to Seattle in the playoffs in round one?
1: I think there was a little bit of disbelief, you know, that this team was so good. They stood a real good chance of repeating. And then just the way that the season had gone with all of the injuries, you know, a lot of adversity, Maybe they tried too hard to win the division when it didn't really matter. They were so decimated that I think there was also just a sense of relief when that series against Seattle was over. Like, you know, the, this team played one of the the latest Stanley Cup finals in history, had one of the shortest off-seasons in history, suffered all season long through injury and and this and that. And, you know, by the time the dust settled there after Game 7 in Denver, I think there was a little bit of disappointment and a little bit of relief.
0: Was there uh, any part of, of maybe the fan base or even management that looked at that disappointment level too, knowing that Nathan McKinnon's big contract extension was set to come into place? And that was the last year you're going to get that kind of player on that bargain of a deal?
1: I certainly think the more well-informed fans felt that way about it. I think there was a sense of you know uh, sorrow for the fact that you knew the team was going to change when McKinnon's deal kicked in. You know, you you knew things weren't good with Landeskog, but you didn't know just how bad they were going to be quite yet. And so there was a little bit of sadness that, like, this this great juggernaut of a team really should have done more and didn't really get to their full potential that season.
0: So into this offseason, it's been a busy one so far for the Avs. A number of trades, some free agent signings uh, for Chris McFarland and company. How would you characterize the work done by the Avs GM in the last couple of weeks here, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I think it's been good. You know, the, the big move, obviously, is bringing in Ryan Johansson. And then the second biggest move, I'd say, is Drew in, bringing him in. He's a little bit of a question mark, but he has had success outside of injuries and the other things he's had going on. But this team really suffered from the lack of a, a second-line center last year. At the start of the season, it was Alex Alex Newhook's job. He couldn't really hold on to it. You know, he kind of was up and down between lines. They slotted Evan Rodriguez in there, and he could hold on to it for a little bit and was up and down. They ended up having to plug J.T. Comper in there a lot, which meant that they didn't really have him as that, you know, utility tool third-line center. So bringing Johansson in to be automatically the second-line center from the get-go I think helps a lot. And then you can slot guys around him. You know, this this is the team that was without Val Nichushkin during the postseason. He's expected to be back for the regular season. He can play in the top two lines. You've got Artery Lekinen who can play on the top two lines. You've got Jonathan and now who can play on the top two lines. And then you've still got Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon. So I think the the top two lines have really filled out and that's really what this team was missing. And then you kind of surround those guys with the periphery guys. We're still waiting to hear um, where Ross Colton lands because he filed for arbitration, but um, Miles Wood comes in, you know, he's a heavy body. He's definitely going to be used in that power forward position with Gabe Landeskog out for the entire season with this knee surgery he's had. So um, I think the team might be still looking for a guy here or there to add into the mix, but, you know, the, the makeup of this team has changed a lot. In the
0: last year. Ryan Boldings along with us from uh, Down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar, guest hotline, Avalanche correspondent for NHL.com and co-host of the Hockey Show from Mile High Sports. I'm Logan Gordon, joined by Aaron Vickers. Aaron?
4: Ryan, you mentioned some of the newer names for the Colorado Avalanche, whether it be Johansson, Ross Colton, Miles Wood, Jonathan Duran. I'm just wondering, you kind of alluded to it that they might still be shopping a little bit for a forward. Outside of Ross Colton's RFA status and arbitration, what do you get the sense of what's going to happen with the forward core for the Colorado Avalanche?
1: Yeah, I don't know that there's going to be any real big swings. I definitely think, you know, a wait-and-see on a Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves doesn't hurt this team very much. I think you saw what they were able to do with just the top six going last year. It's something that they've been capable of doing for a couple years. So they're still very dangerous. Goaltending is still very good. The defense is still top-notch and then you know they have the opportunity to wait and see maybe they make trades you know they made some minor trades during the season last year guys like dennis malgan came in um you know they also have some guys in the minor leagues who could be ready i'm expecting ben myers to really have a chance at a job as the fourth line center this year but he struggled some and he hasn't been able to hold on to that position. So, you know, there might be guys who could who could step up. Chris Wagner was acquired. You know, he's played a lot in the Bruins system, but he played for the Avalanche before. Um, he's the guy who can come up and help if they need it. And then on the back end, they're very bullish on Sam Malinsky. He was captain of Cornell last year. Um, he could be close to stepping into a position there. Brad Hunt, they were very high on the veteran last year. I thought he produced exceptionally well in the capacity that he needed to for the team on the back end so i think positionally things are pretty good and they have the affordability to just kind of sit back and wait and see what opens up
4: i won't go into the story of why brad hunt is my new bff but just know that and if you uh happen to come across him this offseason say hi for aaron vickers for me that would be great
1: i will i definitely will brad is great
4: <laughs> he's amazing i want to ask you about the curious name up front that i see and jonathan drewin who's Bounced or, I don't even want to say bounced around a little bit because he spent a good chunk of time with like, nearly a half decade with the Montreal Canadiens, but he comes to the Colorado Avalanche on a one-year deal, 825k, had 29 points in 58 games last season for the Montreal Canadiens. The obvious connection is Nathan McKinnon and their time together with the Halifax Mooseheads, but what's realistic to expect out of Jonathan Drouin as a member of the Colorado Avalanche? Yeah,
1: I think, you know, it's a little tricky. You don't want to necessarily think of him as a reclamation project, but, it, you know, the way he he performed last year it kind of seems that way. The deal he's on it kind of seems that way. Even general manager Chris McFarland said, you know, it's a bit of a no-brainer at that price point. We can plug him in where we need him, see how it fits. If it doesn't work, it's not that big of a deal. Um, so I saw a stat today that he's actually produced 1.37 assists per 60 at 5-on-5 five five last year, which isn't bad at all. So, you know, if he needs to be a feed guy, I think that totally works. I personally have him slotting in on the the second line. I think you're going to see him start with Nathan McKinnon. I think you're going to try and see them rejuvenate that magic, but I don't know that he is going to supplant Arturi Lekkonen on that top spot. So I see him playing alongside Johansson and Nachushkin, uh maybe ranting in at some point as those guys kind of bounce up and down. Uh, but, yeah, he's the big question mark there, I think, for the top six, where we've seen what he can do when he's at his best, and we've seen what he can do when he is not. And this is obviously an organization that plays a five-man system. They play very up-tempo, fast-paced. You know, you're responsible at both ends of the ice, and so that's something that they're going to be looking for from him.
4: Am I – I don't even know if it's reading into it or just being an idiot, but the last time those two were teammates, Druen and McKinnon, was 2012-13 with Halifax Mooseheads. Druen had 105 points in 49 games. McKinnon had 75 points in 44 games and went on to be the number one pick in the 2013 draft. Is there an off-ice chemistry there that might click on ice? Again, you don't want to necessarily call Druen a reclamation project, but you look at his contract. Is there something there like are we trying to connect too many dots by just assuming they can go back to their old ways after 11 years
1: I think everybody is trying to connect those dots so I don't think it's just us I think the way you look at it you you see what you saw what you just said and you think there's got to be something there there's got to be some connection there now they've been playing apart for years um, but the team did talk to Nathan McKinnon about Druin and asked him specifically about it and said he was you know essentially a glorified scout in this case as his opinion was valued and you know i mean he's a major part of this team he's a major leader driver of the team so i don't think you know not getting his input would be a good idea but also i mean he's a competitor he is it can be abrasive you know he's a challenging guy who wants to win at no matter the cost i'm sure up in Calgary, you've heard stories from Nikita Zodorov about Yep. Oh, yeah. Stories about Nathan McKinnon. Um, even when Calgary was in town this year, Zodorov was asked about defending against him, and he said, I'm glad you know, to be on the other side of the ice. I'm not going to get yelled at him anymore. You know, joking, but kind of serious. So I think there's definitely a high standard for McKinnon. There's a high standard for this team. And then for that line, I think McKinnon is holding the standard for that line, and that'll determine, you know, I think whether Druin can sit on it or not and stay on it. Um, but I don't think it's a far cry to, to think there's some sort of expectation kind of bubbling around this team that that chemistry could be renewed.
0: Ryan, I wanted to talk to you about a couple guys on the blue line, starting with uh, one of the more important guys around the league, and that's Cale McCarr obviously Norris potential can be one of the best in the game when he's at his best. But the problem last year for the Colorado avalanche was they only had him for 60 out of 82 games. How important is it for the Avs to make sure that McKinnon's out there as much as possible, knowing that he, he averages so much time on ice. He's such a thrill offensively, but it's hard to replace him if he's not in the lineup.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's something where he's a gamer. He's going to want to play every game. You're going to want him in every game. Like when Kael McCarr's on the ice on the back end, you basically have five forwards and two defensemen. Like he's that capable and he's that dangerous. And now teams have to game plan for him and and watch him and his talent. He's just a game breaker, but I don't think he entered the season healthy. I think they used him, uh, overutilized him. You know, McCarr was playing like he was averaging 30 minutes a game uh, in December you know, even after the season ended, he, he told me that he, he was utilized. He was logging heavy minutes at a time of the year when he shouldn't have been logging heavy minutes. And it really took a toll. I think he hurt his groin or, or a muscle in the leg area up there. Like, I don't know, last couple weeks of the season, it held him out the whole end of the season. He came back for playoffs, wasn't 100% said as much, you know, and then it was basically just the Avalanche's top line against Seattle. So I think it's important. Obviously we all know how talented he is. He's another driver of this team and you want to make sure that he's logging the heavy minutes, but I think there needs to be a renewed focus on what's the, what are the incremental goals for this team? You know, and we asked mm-hmm. a lot about winning the division and we kind of got the the shuffle from everybody about, Oh, it's not that important. It's not that important. And then when the avalanche won the division, You know, Jared Bednar said that was a goal at the start of the season for our team was to win the division. And you saw they really pushed and fought for it at the end. But did that serve the team in any capacity, you know, in the first round? Obviously, it did not. And I think that the cost of getting there is what really hurt the team. So he's the guy you'd expect to be 100% healthy at the top of his game, start of the season. And then, you know, maybe you don't roll him out for 30 minutes a game in some of the games that aren't. Super meaningful in that December January.
0: Is there a, a chance that a guy like Bowen Byram, if he's healthy for an entire season, can take that next step and sort of take some of that load off of Kale McCarr when we talk about not wanting to play him in as much minutes and early parts of the season? And you see that as a possibility if Bowen Byram was able to stay healthy?
1: I do. I really do. He's an exceptionally talented defenseman who you haven't seen a lot of because he's gone through different injuries. You know, he had head injuries he was dealing with, and then he was dealing with this weird, like, lower body, mid-body injury last season where he just was pulled from warm-ups in uh, Scandinavia there in Finland, and then you didn't see him for, like, 20 games or something, and you didn't really know what was going on. I think it took him a while to get back to his groove, and I think it frustrates him a little bit that he hasn't really had an opportunity to play, like, a full, healthy season um, but this team is a team that is significantly better with Bowen and Byram in the lineup on that second pair. I'm sure he could fill in the top pair if he needs to um, also makes a difference on the power play. So that's a big one. Also, you're looking to see and make sure that Josh Manson is 100% recovered. Um, you know, he said he was after the end of the regular season and into the post season, but I don't think he really was. So that's another guy you want to see how does this second pairing defensive lineup match up health wise? How do they stay healthy? Because they're a huge part of this team.
4: I want to stay on the theme of defensemen here. And I'm just curious the short-term and long-term plans on Sam Girard, who's locked up at $5 million for four more seasons yet at just 25, I still hear his name sprinkled here and there in rumors.
1: Yeah, that one's tricky. You know, he's, effectively the way I have it panning out right now, he's uh, the fifth defenseman on the team, okay. he's probably paired with Jack Johnson. And that's not necessarily a position for him to thrive, right? That's I mean, there's still significant minutes there for a third pair defenseman, but it's it's not prime playing time. He's there if the team has an injury and that's great. I actually think that um you know, in the the Stanley Cup season he cracked his sternum. And it took him, I think, a good portion of last year to recover from that, if not physically, just mentally get back into the game. I I thought he had a very poor start to the season, but by the end of the year, with how much he was relied on, he was very steady, and I thought he had a very strong finish. He's a guy that every season when it starts and he falls down that lineup, I start to think – is that hurting this trade value? You know, like I'm more surprised that he's still on the, on the team sometimes, because I'm not sure that now he's in a position to really showcase what he can do without an injury cropping up. So he's a guy, I wouldn't be surprised to see move in a trade. If they thought Sam Malinsky was ready, maybe, if they felt comfortable rolling with Brad hunt back there, you know, that's a guy I could see them moving for maybe forward help.
0: Uh, just a couple more for you, Ryan, before we let you go. Wanted to ask you about how uh, the team feels about their goaltending uh, right now. Year two of Alexander Georgiev going in there with Pavel Fransos. Uh Overall, I mean, starting 62 games last year for the Colorado Avalanche seemed like pretty good numbers. I imagine the Avalanche feel pretty solid about their pairing heading into training camp.
1: Yeah, I think he had a phenomenal year. He had one bad stretch of the season And he was overutilized in that stretch, too. I think he played, he started like 14 or 20 games in a row um, and kind of started to peter out there right around Christmas. I think after that, he seems to me to be a goalie who really locks in and can streak very hard, very well. Um, And then when things start to go off the rails, he really needs that break and reset. And then he comes back pretty strong. Um, I wouldn't say... A lot of the losses that happened uh, in the downturn at that point were on him, but Pavel Francois was hurt, uh, so there were stretches where Georgiev played significantly more than maybe he should. But you know, I it, I don't think you could really blame much of how the last season went on him. I thought he was phenomenal. Obviously, the team wants to see him grow, but. They had their eye on him for a while. They identified him as a guy that could be who he was last year, and I, I don't think there's any concern on the back end from him. But for Franco's, you're wondering what's his health going to be like moving forward. And, you know, he's had some serious injury issues the last couple of years. Is his body kind of starting to give on him or not? That's something you want to see. Behind them is Eustace Ananen. And this, he signed a one year deal. This is kind of, I think, a make or break year for him. Is he going to be ready to step up to the NHL level this year or next year? Maybe, you know, knock Franco's out of the lineup there. He is considered the goalie of the, the organizational future, so they, I think they really want to see him take that step this year. So I, the job's not necessarily safe for Franco's.
4: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Gabriel Landeskog. and Of course, he didn't play in 22-23. He's going to miss the regular season 23-24 with knee surgery. Cartilage transplant, which is not necessarily something you hear a lot about in the NHL. I'm just curious, has there been any update on his status in terms of recovery and rehab? Or is this going to be a situation where you, the next time we hear about Landeskog, it'll be when he steps back on the ice, whenever that is?
1: I personally think the next time we hear about his recovery it's going to be something ice related like that he said at the end of the year when they when they announced that he would not play in the playoffs he said recovering from this injury in the the public eye has been really hard because a lot of people have been saying things and putting expectations on him okay. that weren't accurate right and i think you could kind of see it there was a lot of hope i think oh he's on the ice and he's always oh, turning you know, he must be on the right track. But if you really watched with a discerning eye prior to this most recent surgery, like he wasn't stopping on his right leg. He was barely turning on his right leg. He was nowhere near. And having to rehab in public with all these expectations, I think was tough and challenging. And now that he's had this surgery, that's very uncommon. Um, I don't think you're going to see much of him. I know already early in the summer, he posted a video of himself on Instagram. Uh, where he was recover- doing some stuff in a pool, some recovery stuff in a pool, said that the surgery went well. But it's just kind of a wait and see. And they've already announced he's out for the entire season, right? So yep. the, there's no expectation now that is, well, G- Landis will Landis Gogh be back in November, or December, January for playoffs? He's out. You know, maybe playoffs are a long shot. But I think at this point, you know, what he did playing on the, at the injured leg he did and how he performed in the playoffs to win the Stanley Cup – I think he's earned enough time to take the time he needs to be either 100% good to come back or given enough length to say, we tried and this isn't going to work out. But only time is going to tell which scenario comes true.
4: I was going to say, what's the level of concern that he isn't able to recover? You mentioned it. Cartilage transplant isn't necessarily all that prevalent in sports, certainly not hockey. Is there a cloud over his ability to get back?
1: Yeah, I think there really is. And, you know, the only other player in that recently that has had this done is Lonzo Ball. Yep. And so I think all eyes are on him and it doesn't seem like things are going super well for him in this capacity with the surgery. Landis Gog said he's even been in touch with Lonzo Ball and it was nice to talk to a high performance athlete who is experiencing something similar. When they announced he was out for the postseason, I asked him immediately, is this something that could linger beyond this season, you know? And he said, Yes, it is and there was concern there. So it wasn't surprising for me when they announced he would be done for this coming season. But I think there is a real concern that this could be it. Uh, you know, and that's and it's sad when there's another Swede that comes to the Colorado Avalanche who could see his career shortened by, you know, a leg injury that they just can't get a hold of. So hopefully not the case, but I do think it's a real concern.
0: Ryan, really appreciate the time, man. Thanks for hopping on with us today. I uh, hope we can do it again, maybe closer to the season as we get into the year, but appreciate you hopping on with us today up in Calgary.
1: I love coming on. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate the time, man. Ryan Bolding. Joining us down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline. He covers the Colorado Avalanche for NHL.com. Also does uh, the hockey show for the Mile High podcast. Uh, some interesting names there in Colorado, man. I, I'm with you. I think Joanne is yeah. a very interesting, low-cost, high-potential type of move for that team, especially if you're talking about Nathan McKinnon and him having that sort of you know relationship and potential chemistry again. Why not take a chance if you're Colorado?
4: The interesting thing there that Ryan said to me is, we know how competitive Nathan McKinnon is. We've heard Nikita Zadorov talk about it. We've heard the just the, the sheer level of competitiveness he has. So when Nathan McKinnon endorses bringing in Jonathan Drouin, it's not from a nostalgia perspective, because I get the impression that Nathan McKinnon isn't just welcoming anybody onto his bus as they drive towards trying to win a Stanley Cup for the second time in three seasons. Nathan McKinnon, quasi scout as as Ryan Bolden kind of reference. Yeah, he referenced. doesn't seem
0: like the kind of guy that's like, uh, you know, I'm just going to do this because my buddy yeah. needs a job, and I'm going to. If you can't help me, I'm not interested in you coming onto my team. Well, golf in the summer, but as far as playing hockey goes, Nathan McKinnon doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's, you know, just you know, going to get you a job so that you can, yeah, exactly, hop onto the bus and watch me score 120 points this season. This is a team that's going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, I think they're going to be among the better team in the West Um, as I look at things today. I think um, that's fair. And I think that's, you know, uh, health. I mean, look, even if, even if you're this, you're the Colorado level and you say, if I'm 25% healthier than I was last year, we're, we're way ahead of where we were. Like this team was decimated by injuries and still found a way to the playoffs and probably could have found a way past Seattle. They didn't, Long offseason, some new faces, going to be one of those teams to watch for in the West for sure. But we got to take a break. Hour two wrapping up here on Sportsnet today. Sportsnet today returns here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.